This episode of Couch Communion is dedicated to John Cooper. We talk a little later in this episode about his recent statements that he's made about waging a war on the deconstruction movement, but what he doesn't know is that his band, Skillet, has shaped our faith in a lot of ways, including our ability to question the status quo of our churches and our Christian communities. Listening to their music was the beginning of realizing that there are all kinds of Christians out there and that we all serve the same God. Even though he will never know it, John and the rest of Skillet helped to form our faith, including now as we reevaluate what we believe. So thanks, John, for all the music that we loved and for teaching us to push boundaries. Hi guys. I'm Jordan. I'm Sarah. And this is Couch Communion. Again. Yeah. Again. Virtual. (laughs) Another one. (laughs) What? They're still doing it. Another one. Another one. Um, Today, (laughs) we are going to be talking about, uh, we're going to be talking about virtual church versus in-person church not versus it's not a competition sometimes it should be people make it out to be but uh yeah especially in these times of covid there's a lot more virtual church happening and so we're gonna talk about it is it good is it bad is it both or neither do you miss getting donuts in in person church i do i miss breakfast because we, uh, when we were going to the cathedral, the Episcopal Cathedral, uh, we would do 8 a.m. service, and then they had breakfast right afterward. Mm. And it was like full hot breakfast, and then also donuts. <laughs> and then everybody, usually, usually people don't go to the 8 a.m., like... So we would go to breakfast and then everybody usually was like going from breakfast to service, but we'd already been to the service. So we would just do breakfast and then peace out. That's the Um, best way to do it. Eat and run. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, so I miss that a lot. Yeah. There was breakfast this morning at mass and we didn't go. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't want to hang out with those people. Come on. (laughs) No, we actually, we didn't go because we wanted to um, go to... A new restaurant here in town that I will oh. I will shamelessly plug on this podcast. And Please I've tell never, me all. I'm so I want to hear. I haven't even eaten it there. We did not eat there. I'm telling you right now. I have not had their food, and I will shamelessly plug them because their menu was enough to make me go. This is amazing. So uh, here in the 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 Lex Vegas here in um, Lexington, we have a new Louisville based um, restaurant plant called Biscuit Belly. Um, and I looked at their menu. We, okay. So here's why we didn't eat there. We were going to eat there. Mm-hmm. We drove to it. We circled the building three times before we found a parking space. Um, they don't have a drive through. They only have online order pickup through the, through a drive through and it's mm. not, it's not running yet. So they only have inside. So Mark found a space parked and he was like, I'm going to go get the food and bring it out to the car and we'll just go home and eat it at home. 
Um, and then about 15 minutes later, he comes back to the car with no food. And he's like, it was going to be another 15 minutes before I even got to the front of the line. And then from there, they were, it was, they were saying it was going to be 15 to 20 minutes for food. That's how packed it was. And so this is their opening weekend. Okay. So it's like crazy. Everybody's flooding and it's the after church crowd. Yeah. So, yeah. Especially Sunday after church. People. Let me just read to you a couple of the menu items. Please. Um, from this restaurant. Uh, loaded breakfast tots, which is sausage and cheddar stuffed tater tots with sweet maple mayo sauce. I was not expecting the stuffed tater tots aspect of that. Yeah. Uh, no, I was, when I looked it up, I was thinking, oh, it's going to be like a chicken biscuit. And yeah. 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 You know, this biscuit and that biscuit. No. Mm, mm. <laughs> uh, fried green tomatoes. Okay. With, uh, house ranch. Um, something called the gravy train, which is a mini biscuit basket. So a basket of mini biscuits and samples of three gravies. Um, you can sub one of the gravies for chocolate gravy. Um, but here's their three gravies. Um, they have a uh, hot brown gravy. They have, which if you're not from Kentucky, a hot brown is a delicious um, uh, local is that local to Lexington or is that just a Kentucky thing? I think I think it originated in Louisville at the Brown Hotel. So, gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. It's a turkey and uh, bacon and cheese and tomato. Tomato. Mm -hmm. It's like an open-faced sandwich with – it's very messy. It's really good. It's delicious. Um, so they have a hot brown gravy. Um, they have a mushroom gravy. And then they have a getta gravy. Oh, now don't start with me. I'm not, I'm not, listen, I'm not, I'm not saying anything bad about Geta. I, it's not shocking that I don't like Geta. I'm not the biggest sausage fan. I'm actually very happy for you. <laughs> I, th there's so many Geta items on this menu. I could, I could cry. Um, for those of you who don't know, Geta is a, it's, it's a sausage, mm -hmm. uh, ground sausage that has oats in it and it originated i think in cincinnati um i don't know who originated it but there's a big getta company up there called gleers and it's um, a german they, thing isn't it, it is a it's a german thing and it's um delicious and uh we can't get it very often here in lexington even though we're only 85 miles from a place that you can get it right um, right which is not that far <laughs> They also have things like a s'mores biscuit. Oh, um, oh listen. I would um, demolish a s'mores biscuit right about listen now. Listen to this. And you know I love brie cheese. Um, uh, yeah. This, so this one is sounds especially good. This is called the Love Shack. Um, <laughs> it's vegetarian. And it has brie, honey, uh, honey, berry jam, and pralines on an open-faced biscuit. Let's oh they better never be on doordash or it is over for me it's over for I mean, me and my wallet and my health but it goes all the way to they have one called the boozy bird which is a buttermilk fried chicken breast smothered in bourbon maple maple syrup and you can add a shot of four roses not like not like on the sandwich they will just give you a shot of four roses <laughs> on the side good morning <laughs> happy breakfast <laughs> Um, they have a full um, um, cocktail menu. Uh-huh. Uh, like, I mean, like a maple old-fashioned, a tequila sunrise, 
um, coffee with rum, like the whole nine yards. Dang. So this is my shameless plug. Uh, um, I, once I eat Biscuit Belly, then I will get on this podcast and tell you if it's as good as it sounds. We should uh, get Biscuit Belly to sponsor us. I, think, I agree. I think that's the new move. I Biscuit don't think Belly. there's a better sponsor that we could have. Please than... sponsor us. Yes. Yeah. Um, if you send us biscuits, we will review them on our very popular <laughs> podcast about <laughs> Christian deconstruction. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Um, but yeah, how did we get to biscuits? Um, oh, I didn't breakfast, breakfast at church because we were yes. going to go to biscuit. Yes. We, didn't end up, we did not end up doing that. We came home and made eggs. Yes. So <laughs> I do. So, well, before ahead. we, before we get into the church stuff officially, can we talk about John Cooper for like one second? <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I know you're dying to talk about I this. just want to talk about, I, I, okay. So John Cooper, the lead singer of Skillet. I'm pretty sure everyone in the deconstruction world has heard about this by now. Um, when we're talking about this, it's just happened, but this is going to be several weeks, if not a month. <laughs> if you're wondering, after this. it's Super Bowl Sunday. Go yes, Bengals. Yes, go Bengals. Yes. Um, no, that's not going to age well. I feel it now. Sh- we just we just jinxed it. I'm just glad they're there, honestly. I'm just happy for them. <laughs> just glad they were invited, <laughs> you know? We're just glad to be here. I'm so happy to be here. Um, yeah, so so... Uh, John Cooper, whatever, was at a concert and did a whole thing about we're going to wage war on the deconstruction Christian movement. And it's not even really he doesn't want to call it a Christian movement because it's not Christian. And, uh, you know, we all just hate the Bible and yeah, etc. I don't know. It's just it's very frustrating when a band... That was very formative to your Christian upbringing. Um, Yeah. You know, when this happens. And it's ironic because I feel like I have only, like, my relationship with Christian music is kind of tough. I don't really like listening to a lot of it anymore. It's, like, weirdly, I don't want to say triggering, but, like, I just kind of don't enjoy it anymore. Um but recently I went back and like rediscovered Skillet for a hot second. And I was like, yeah, because of my deconstruction, I'm actually enjoying this music again more. The yeah. irony. So it's like, yeah. John, I don't know how to tell you this, but you should be thanking my deconstruction for getting you some Spotify plays because. Right. Right. And I think, and I'm looking at an article about it right now. And it what's frustrating is some of the stuff he's saying really shows me he doesn't understand what the deconstructive deconstruction movement is none of them do in the in the slightest it's because he's saying that um (laughs) well first of all it goes back to a debate that really irks me and that i will that is it's one of my soapbox debates he says that young people should not believe the lies that are being told by news celebrities politicians and university professors and i um this is a whole other topic for a whole other day, but going to college does not indoctrinate you into liberal pop propaganda. That no. is not, that's no. not what happens. It's not at all. And, um, it really bothers me when, when conservative Christians attack, uh, higher education as a reason why their children are not, 
following the conservative values that they right. wanted them to follow. Like maybe, maybe we should look in the mirror. Um, well, but well, it's also like I am very you know coming from a conservative background and being a conservative once myself. Like I don't want to say that conservative people are stupid, but <laughs> if you s- keep attacking higher education. I really don't know what to tell you at that point. Like, and that's a, it's an age old debate too. I mean, like uh, it's been going on for ever. This debate yeah. about like does does this kind of like path of the student um, get you into trouble? Is knowledge yeah. something that is like the antithesis of God? Which it, it just no. in my very core, it's yes. like God gave you a brain right. for a reason. And- I do want to clarify that was not me saying that conservatives are stupid. They're not no, no, yeah. right. Like <laughs> we, I think we can all acknowledge that there are educated and uneducated people on both sides. I'm not right. saying that. I am saying right. that it is like higher education kind of has to be secular for it to be free to learn. If and I mean discover the, new things, if that makes that's sense. the gig is that like you go and you learn new things. Like, right, you're exposed and we, to new And this is points. coming from two people who went to a Christian college. Yeah. So, I mean, e- even going there, I was exposed to many new viewpoints, not all of them liberal <laughs> ones, yeah. some but new he, conservative ones, too. He also says in here, he's like, he's saying that celebrities want you to find your truest, authentic self um, and encourage you to divorce from the limitations of Christianity and divorce yourself from the chains of the Bible. And then he says what they really want is a sexual revolution so you can finally be free and can turn your back on Jesus and all the stuff that he demands. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. What? I'm, I'm not in the deconstruction community f- for the sex. Like, that's not. No. That's no. Not what it is. What is it with people thinking that it's sexy it's to be a deconstructionist? Sex. It's always I- sex. I know I'm sexy. You don't got to keep telling me, but that's, yeah. you know. Um, but he's also saying that, like, he he's saying that, like, we, we want to divorce ourselves from the chains of the Bible. And he says, oh, where is it? Oh, there's no such thing as divorcing Jesus Christ from the authoritative word of God. Cooper stated, it's time for the young people to tell those celebrities, atheists, and deconstructing Christians alike that we're not listening to you anymore. Okay, um... It's my desire to understand the authoritative word of God that leads me into deconstruction, not the not the not the unchaining the, of that. Right. Because Jesus is the word of God. And so if I'm looking at the word that's saying Jesus did this and Jesus said that and I'm saying this is not lining up, mm-hmm. then what I, this is an audio podcast i shouldn't use just <laughs> gestures but like i don't if one plus one is two and two plus two is four <laughs> what the heck is this i just it's frustrating to me when people with a platform like that pop off and say stuff without truly understanding yeah the issue at hand and without trying to understand Agreed. the issue at hand and, I and was... it's and like you said it's especially disappointing when it's somebody that was so formative yeah uh in your upbringing yeah i was so he also has a book which i thought this was like a new book that he had out it came out in 2020 um but in it like you know the description of the book is like uh oh by the way it's called awake and alive to truth (laughs) which is 
uh, an interesting play off of their album. You but- know, you know the TikTok sound that's like, listen, if you're boring, just say that. <laughs> for, <laughs> for me, it's like, yes. it's like, listen, if you haven't made a good album since 2005, just say just that. Just say that? You know? <laughs> oh, man. Um, 2005 is probably a bit further back than yeah, what I actually mean, but when was Awake and Alive? I'm awake, I'm alive. I don't remember. And is arguably, that, the... that was like, eh, it was okay. Is that the um, white covered one? Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um. Anyway, in the book, uh, it talks about you know, um, Awake and Alive to Truth tackles the reigning philosophies of our day of postmodernism, relativism, and the popular view the the popular view of the goodness of man and combats these viewpoints by standing on the absolute truth of the word of God. We will go on a journey through some of the author's personal stories, the doctrine of original sin, the authority of scripture, the danger of trusting your emotions and end with the greatest news possible. God wants to rescue you from the chaos and darkness and bring you into his glorious light. Now here's my issue with that. A, I mean, I don't want to go on a whole thing about the goodness of man, but like, I don't, I'm not a big fan of like the utter depravity theories of man. I think that mankind can be good, but whatever. And I really hate any kind of Christian leadership talking about the dangers of trusting your emotions. Mm. Cause I get what they're saying in the sense that like, I mean, I've had to go on my own journey with that, with anxiety of learning that my brain lies to me and like, if I'm sitting here thinking, like, oh, Jordan probably hates me because I didn't text her back. And now if I text her back, it's just going to be awkward. And, oh, my God, I'm the most annoying you friend on right. the planet. <laughs> Don't tell me that. Don't tell I'm me kidding. That. No, I'm I know. Kidding. I know. But, like, I have to go, okay, emotions are not facts. Like, mm-hmm. just because I'm feeling this way does not make it reality. That is different, I think, than a lot of people who use that phrase of saying like, yeah, you might get a gut feeling that our church is wrong for hating gay people, but you need to read the Bible and realize that your emotions and you're feeling bad about that is not rooted in our interpretation of the Bible. And that's what I feel like he's doing in his book. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's more of a don't only trust the Bible and thereby Christian leadership that tells you what to do. And don't listen to your own gut feelings about what might be bad. Right. Right. And that's so manipulative. Reason number one, not number one, but it was one of the big reasons I joined the Episcopal Church because they stand on this, this tenet of you have a brain, you have logic, and it was Mm -hmm. given to you by God. And we support that. <laughs> and, exactly. And that, like, you can, we all have this ability to listen, both listen to church leadership and listen to the Holy Spirit and listen to our logic and listen to all of these sources and make up our minds. Exactly. And it trusts people. Uh, Awaken Alive came out in 2010, by the way. So it's been 11 years since they've had a good album. So <sighs> the year I we graduated like... high school. And I didn't like that album as much. It was good. But it was, you know, uh, I liked Monster. I think Monster was on that one. That was a, yeah, that was a good a good song. I think it's weird, too, coming from him, just because when we were, when Skillet was big, when it was, like, it was cool to listen to Skillet, uh, they were, like, on the fringe of Christian society, that's yeah and they you know they were like the trailblazers into this whole movement of like 
Christian music can be edgy. Christian music can can talk about stuff that you you know you don't normally want to talk about. Right. Real they were, stuff, depression, yeah. darkness and yeah. And he is just like and I can kind of see that though, like this idea that like he's gone on this journey of pulling away from his own personal darkness. So I kind of get it. Mm-hmm. Like how a person goes from point A to point B. Yeah. But like it's just it's bizarre. Yeah. To to hear that from him. Yeah. Anyway, we should just make this whole episode about John Cooper. Uh, you know, well, we've gone like 25 minutes, and I'm sorry to take up that much time <laughs> talking That's about okay. this man, but I just, I needed to get that off my chest because... We're going to get into some similar ideas in terms of, like, modernism and, like... Oh, good. Not not modernism, trademark, reg- you know, like, not yeah, modernism, yeah, yeah. but, like, yes. um, modern Christian experiences. Mm-hmm. So, church, the Lord's yeah. house. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I wanted to talk about uh, um, virtual church because of some debates that have been going on recently. So, so here's the thing. This is not a debate that's new. It's, in fact, quite old. Um, but it's going to be a little bit dated when this episode releases, but I think it's still going to be something that's, that's talked about quite a yeah. bit. Yeah. Because I don't know if you know this, but we're amidst a global pandemic. What? Um, still. Right now? Yeah, I mean, right now. In 2022? Um, to, <laughs> to our listeners, it didn't go away. It's still happening. Oh, man. Um, it's not uh, It's not the same as it was. Uh-huh. But well, we're still experiencing it. That's really good to know, because I was out licking light poles the other day. And you know, you should. I need know. to go get tested <laughs> for a lot of things, probably. <laughs> but we... The, the, the onset of the pandemic prompted a lot of churches to go oh we need virtual options because the government is telling us we can't meet mm-hmm. um and in the state of kentucky like in a lot of states in the u.s that became a horrendous legal issue yeah um, that was just the biggest headache um yeah and oh gosh we can get into all of the thoughts and and feelings about you know what does it mean to abide by local um, ordinances in the name of loving loving your neighbor Mm -hmm. um, versus what should churches have the freedom to do but that's that is such a huge yeah that's another episode (sighs) yeah um but this is so so from the the start of the pandemic we've been hearing you know, what's, wh- what do we do with virtual church? What is, mm-hmm. what is the thing? People have been doing virtual church since it was an option, mm-hmm. since live streaming became a thing. Um, I mean, we here in town have a super mega church that's been doing a 10 o'clock broadcast of their services on the local channel for over a decade, probably. It's actually not what I thought you were going to say, um, because we also have another super mega church. Are you talking about Emmanuel or are you talking about Central? No. I'm talking I'm, about... Not Central. I, uh, Southland. I wasn't going to name them, but yeah, Southland. I mean, uh, you can cut that. I was just curious. Um, Ellie. Then that same church also, when we were in college and went to one of them, they had like their normal time service and then they had like a 15 minute delayed 
service yeah. in the same building, just in a different room with coffee and donuts and a screen projecting the sermon on a 15 minute delay so that if people were late, they could go to that one. Yeah. It was, or it was like people. overflow. Yeah. 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 Which I, I forgot about that, mm-hmm. but now thinking back to it, what a hilarious way to, to reach the late people. Yeah. And they really did. I mean, like the other services did not have coffee and donuts. They put it in yeah. there specifically for late comers. It's like, Hey, I appreciate you're it. a little bit late. You can still come. Don't leave. Yeah. It was like the which, casual chill yeah. service. Cause you know, and it was still live worship music. It was yes. just the sermon yeah. was on a delay. A little delayed, yeah. But but even, th- I mean, think past that. Uh, we, we've had televangelists um, since TV was a thing. Uh, yeah, and I before mean, that, radio evangelists. Yeah, so it's not like technology is new. <laughs> it's not like... No. And I think a lot of times what's frustrating about some of the debates about virtual church is that people forget that, like, Virtual, virtual versions of church have been around as long as we have had the ability to do them in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. That one of the good things about um, technology is that Christians have found ways to say, how do we reach more people? Right. And right now, that looks like Facebook Live and YouTube streaming and Vimeo, which... If there's ever somebody that comes to comes to us from Vimeo and says we want to sponsor you, immediately no. <laughs> immediately no. What's your beef with Vimeo? Um, the cathedral switched to Vimeo for their oh. streaming service, and it actually makes it really difficult for me to connect to. I've actually I I haven't watched a stream from the cathedral in a while because I I just can't I can't get on it. it it's it's really frustrating. Um, they should do my... like Twitch streaming services. I'm sure someone we're does. Gonna, okay. We're going to get to it. We're going to get to okay. it. Okay. Um, but a couple weeks ago, um, an op-ed writer for the New York Times um, uh, named Tish Harrison Warren wrote a big op-ed called Why Shur- Churches Should Drop Their Online Services. And this was actually kind of – I mean, it was her own article, but it she – alluded a lot to an article from August of last year by Colin Hansen, um, which was also in the Times. It was a pending article called What We Lose When We Live Stream. And basically, she was saying, we need to drop this whole idea of online services because, quote, this is the way to love God and our neighbors. To, to not have online services is the way that we can truly love God mm-hmm. and our neighbors. Mm-hmm. That online church diminishes worship and our humanity by removing the physical bodily part of worship. So like her core argument is that um, worship is something that is not just a spiritual experience. It is a physical experience and that like you need to be physically involved mm-hmm. in your worship experience, which I'm not altogether against. Sure. Coming from a place of, I, although I do go to church with my family, it is not the church that I am associated with. Um, and and I, as I've spoken about a lot of times, I have a lot of beef um, in that realm. And so I have no other way currently with the way my life is with a toddler and an infant on the way. I have no way to be in person at the church that I affiliate affiliate. Right. Right. Virtual church is my only option. Yes. <laughs> and so, um, so in a way I really appreciate virtual church, but I long for physical community, like yeah. with 
with that with that that church body. So like I get it. I get it. However, <laughs> um, critics of the article have been talking a lot about how it's really an ableist perspective yes. to look at. Yes. Um, because some people just simply cannot connect in person as they would want to. Mm-hmm. Um, and she kind of talks a little bit more in the article about like, you know, this was really good for COVID. It was a really, you know, it was a great way for us to adapt. And we did want to have safe ways to adapt. And that was a really good thing. But she said the goal was never and ought never to be to eliminate all risk of illness or death. Throughout the past two years, we have sought to balance the risk of disease with the good of being present in person with one another. And the cost of being apart from one another is steep. People need physical touch and interaction. We need to connect with other human human beings through our bodies, through the ordinary vulnerability of looking into their eyes, hearing their voice, sharing their space, their smells, their presence. Okay. Okay. So, like, okay, fine. Sure. I And I am a millennial. As she would call it, I am a digital native. I spend a lot of my... That's the way does, to put it. She does refer to, well, I would say they're more... They're either like super young millennials or Gen Zers. Yeah. Um, she refers to as digital natives. Um, I, I agree that like we can depend on technology too much and that disconnecting from people physically can be really debilitating. Mm-hmm. What does that say about like who we allow to be in our church spaces? You know, like what does that say about who deserves the fullest church like Mm -hmm. and like what is the fullest church experience like if i cannot physically go to church yeah i'm immunocompromised and we're in a global pandemic i have some disability that doesn't allow me to get out of the house Mm -hmm. or i am um terminally ill like am i now not allowed to experience church in the way that everybody else does right and it's just i mean this isn't like a super, I don't know. There's just so many other ways to experience all of those things that she's mentioning. Like I can go to lunch with friends and look into their eyes and have a vulnerable moment or, you know, what I, I can get on zoom with you and look into your eyes and have a vulnerable moment. Like, right. Um, yeah. And part of, I do understand because I, also know that churches already have an attendance problem um and i know that from church hopping and showing up to churches and being like where are all the young people and they're like we don't have any we love you so much please never leave i'm like no um or i mean not all you know not all of them um but younger people are not attending church as much And I get that. I get that older generations are afraid of that. (laughs) And not without, you know, cause. Um, It makes me sad to think about the church that I grew up in. It's all older people. And they've been around for 150 years. If everyone dies out, I don't know what's going to, like, I don't know who's going to take over that church. Um, So, I think the thing, though, is then the response should not be taking what I think is a good thing and getting rid of it. Instead, you just got to innovate more. We had one innovation. Got to keep it. What, 
why should people want to come to your church? What are you giving them that they can't get sitting on their couch or going to lunch with their friends? And we can get into the bigger discussion of like, is it necessary to be in person with people? But like, I don't know, step your game up. Like, yeah, yeah. People don't have to come to your church anymore. So like. Exactly. And in the article that was that was written back in August by Colin Hansen, um, he does he concedes like that the Internet tears down. He says it tears down nearly every pre- previous hindrance to church attendance mm-hmm. um, and that it is it has been an amazing thing for churches to be able to um, reach to reach people they've never been able to reach before. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a it's a super convenient um, way to connect. Mm-hmm. Um, but both he and, um, um, Tish Morin, uh, kind of feel that that convenience is way too big that, um, uh, anybody can be anonymous and anybody can, can not commit. Um, and that also kind of Colin Hansen pointed out like that it benefits large churches that have, you know, big production budgets and have people that they can call on to help with tech issues and um, that are that are also usually less liturgical, less participatory denominations mm-hmm. um, because you can just throw a worship band up on the screen and like put the words up there and like right. do all of that. But the smaller churches who don't who, who like you're talking about, who have mm-hmm. members who are, um, you know, 60 plus all of them are 60 plus Mm -hmm. who may or may not have as much technological experience are kind of left in the dust. Right. I'm honestly Uh, shocked. My, uh, that church that I was talking about, they do have, they do film their services and put them on YouTube. And I was shocked when I went and saw a little like phone on a stand in the middle of the aisle. And I was like, Oh, what church am I in right now? Hello. (laughs) Yeah, and my home church too, which yeah. is largely really similar, is mm-hmm. also live streams on Facebook every Sunday, and it's the only way that my grandparents are able to connect with yes um, church right now because they are both very immunocompromised and very scared of getting COVID still. Right. Um, but they, I mean, like this is their family. That's their. That's the difference. I think generationally is that like we've talked about before that we don't look for the same community in church that previous generations did mm-hmm. um and, but this is that's their family that they are disconnected from and virtual church gives them that option right yeah. but she um tish warren in that article she says she says people um uh people who are stuck at home who are sick um or who you know for whatever reason cannot um come to church should be instead visited by church members. Um, And the church members are the ones who need to step up and offer some kind of liturgical experience to these people in their homes, Um, which the way that she wrote it did kind of offer a compelling argument for the gifts of like personal embodied presence and like a person coming from a church and saying, we see you, we know you, we want to want you to be a part of this even when you can't. Mm-hmm. However, um, that still puts a barrier between that person and the church at large. Yeah. You are still getting a distilled version 
right. of what everybody else is getting. Why take away the the larger part of it and only offer an in-home, you know, visit from a from a church member? Mm-hmm. I absolutely agree with her that like the church is yes. the people those are the people who need to step up and and say, "Okay, who am I visiting today? Who am I bringing who am I bringing Eucharist to? Who am I, you know, who am I um, going to connect with? But why take away the the virtual church option? Exactly. It's that not make one or the other. You can have both. <laughs> right. Right. We're, we're both and people. Absolutely. Know? We are inclusive of <laughs> right. all kinds. Yes. But really, it just sounds like that she's mad because she she says offering church online as an option implicitly makes embodiment elective, like a consumer present, preference. And it just kind of sounds like they're, like, mad about people being able to do what they want. That's, I, yeah, yeah. She sounds like someone who has always volunteered at her church every Sunday and gets mad that other people are busy and don't volunteer. Which I can understand. I'm not saying it's it's not valid. It's a valid feeling. But I think that speaks to also, like, I mean, like you said about community, generationally, there's a difference, I think, in what people are looking for in a church community. Mm-hmm. And if you're worried about, or if, you know, people are worried about um, virtual church destroying the community of churches, like, what are you, what are you wanting to get out of people's physical presence? Is it so that they will be there and tithe? Is it so that you can be there and all sing together? Is it so that you have people to work your food pantry at your church? You know, like what, there are different reasons. And again, maybe we just need to step outside of, oh, church is, church is a service with a song and a sermon and another song and then a Bible verse and then a closing song and an offering and that's the formula, you know, why can't we have church community doing community service or going to a park and having a barbecue with the church community, you know, it's just, again, I think we just need to change. And this is, that's a hard pill and to swallow. And that's really the question that it gets at is what it, in essence, what is church? Yeah. And we've talked about this before. I mean, like it all comes down to like, what is church for? Yeah. And and what is the worship service for, which across denominations and across different theological standpoints, that's going to change. But mm-hmm. essentially, um, I mean, if I'm looking at it, that's that's the starting point. It shouldn't be that shouldn't be the full essence of church the service itself that's on Sunday or whatever day. Yeah, it's that's your starting point. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll um, we'll get a little bit deeper into that um, in just a few minutes. But we're going to take a quick break um, and grab some water. And, uh, you know, because that's important. Hydrate. Got to hydrate. Got to hydrate. Dear listeners, hydrate. Um, And then we'll be right back. Bye. Welcome back. Hello. We're snacked up. We're we're watered up. We're snacked up, up, watered down. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um. Yeah. So 
let's see where do we leave off we were talking about what is church community mm-hmm. which um i think coming into the whole debate <laughs> i was all geared up and prepared to be like um you know this lady doesn't know what she's talking about in this op-ed and like uh it's so ableist which it is a little bit and like um just like rip it to shreds and then as i was reading through several different you know perspectives on this i was like oh no it's it's more complicated oh no <laughs> there's nuance every time <laughs> um me too me too this uh, this whole debate led me to actually agree with something on the gospel coalition's website oh um, hold on wait a minute <sighs> which is let me take a second yeah it could be worse. You could be agreeing with focus on the family. I had a close That's call fair. for that. So, <laughs> um, Jay Kim back in March of last year actually wrote an article called should online church continue after the pandemic. And I was a little annoyed because in the title it's should online quote unquote church continue after the pandemic. And I'm like, stop that. It's good. Um, <laughs> we don't, Bias we don't in the need title. That. Stop it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, in the article, he talked about how when he's away from his family, um, their interaction on digital devices usually deeper, deep, he says, deep in our desire for an analog reunion that like connecting through FaceTime is really good because mm-hmm. they get that connection. But it also makes it even more even even more precious when they do get to be in person. That's true. Which is very true. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it's similar for a church body, too, that like our digital interactions should make our physical ones even sweeter, you know, that Mm -hmm. we're able to actually see each other. And he talks about how the Hebrew and Greek words in the Bible for worship actually reflect this kind of whole bodied engagement and that Christian worship, um, he says is already misunderstood that before, before we even talk about virtual church, Mm -hmm. that we're misunderstanding the point of, um, communal worship, that it's not participatory in a lot of places, um, that it's, you know, you come and you hum along and you don't really like, there's no like, and I, this is a little extreme, but like, there's no like throwing yourself prostrate at the, you know, the <laughs> you, altar, you yeah, know, that kind of thing yeah. like, that, like we've disconnected our bodies from that experience, mm-hmm. which is an interesting thought for me because we've talked a lot about Christian music and how like worship bands and stuff, you, you, it's hard to tell sometimes am I experiencing the Holy spirit or is it, is it a key change, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, but I think he's got a point that a lot of times we're there in, we're, we're technically there in body, but we're not like actually physically interacting Mm -hmm. in that space. Mm -hmm. Um, and he, he says that online worship just further accentuates that misunderstanding that like, just because we sat and we watched it, did we actually worship? Right. Um, but he also calls out the church members to be the ones encouraging physical acts of worship, okay. encouraging tangible experiences, like turning audiences, he says, turning audiences into participants mm-hmm. so that you're not just like being an audience, being an observer, but you're actually participating. Yeah. So encouraging things like actually taking communion and like actually moving your body and like being physically involved in the worship. I don't know Which why I thought was... <laughs> that just made me picture like an old, like liturgical style church <laughs> making all of its members 
like learn the motions to oh happy day or like calisthenics yeah from the grave to the words but from the cross to the grave from the grave to the sky that's the motions right yeah yeah uh, just like 80 year olds doing like yeah church calisthenics right. of <laughs> the motions well, and i mean that's that's some of the appeal in in some of the more liturgical participatory traditions you know there's there are moments in um in the in the mass or in the service where you do the sign of the cross on your forehead and then on your lips and then on your heart like when they're about to read the the um gospel Mm -hmm. um to you know those connections between body and spirit yeah and that's something that i've had to learn like not had to but it's something that i have learned to appreciate Mm -hmm. in recent years um coming from a church background of like you sit very still in the pew and you are quiet you are silent and do not speak if you're talking you you can't hear the holy spirit speaking to you (laughs) you listen to the pastor and you you know and you sing just loud enough for people to hear you but just quiet enough that we are all singing at one universal volume there's no showing off not you do not sway you do not do the hand raising if you if your hand comes past your hip get it back down (laughs) yes yes which makes me think of the john mulaney sketch where his dad grabbed him he says <laughs> grabbed him by the the collar of his izod polo and said god can't hear you <laughs> but oh my gosh there is a sense of a physicality i think that's really beautiful when you connect your actual physical being in whatever way you can mm-hmm. um to the act of like a spiritual worship I do and then, really like, I have to say, I, I wish that, uh, of course, I'm not really going to a church right now, but um, I do appreciate even just like the physical, um, like you were talking about doing the sign of the cross. I feel like mm-hmm. that is, it's it's like a, what's the word I'm looking for? Mm, I mean, it is that like physical and spiritual connection, but also like a, not a routine. What's What am I trying to say? Like a... A rhythm, I guess. Yeah. A yeah. rhythm of you worshiping and, like, keeping you in it. And I don't know. I, I do kind of wish that I was a part of a tradition that did things like that. Yeah. I mean, like, people make fun of, um, you know, Anglican and, and Catholic traditions for, like, the up and down during church. Like, you got to stand up, sit down, yeah. stand up, sit down, kneel, stand up, sit down, you know. Yeah. Um, but I tell you what, there's far less uh, Anglicans fallen asleep in church i was gonna say Baptists. it'll keep you awake you, know? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you are engaged yes and you can um, count the calories so yeah you know. yeah um yeah in that article jay kim ends up saying he says creatively and thoughtfully crafting our worship liturgies to minimize opportunities for inaction will be vitally important in the coming mon- months and years but ultimately for those continuing with online services we must make clear to our communities that digital is a necessary compromise for some and not a convenient option for all clarity of hierarchy is necessary for all who are able the embodied in-person gathering must become the priority once again now that that part i don't fully agree with okay um because i think it still has that little air of ableism that like yeah there is a hierarchy of church mm-hmm. and that like if you cannot make it to f- physical church then you are getting a a um subpar 
a subpar experience. Yeah. Now, no one is saying that the virtual experience of church is the same as being mm-hmm. in the physical. Nobody's saying that, which Miles Warrants on Twitter made a lot of people mad by saying that we were. <laughs> but I to put it in a in a place of it's lesser church I think is so problematic. Yeah. yeah, it's different. It's definitely different. We're not nobody is arguing with that except for Miles Warrens. But <laughs> <laughs> it's it, it isn't it's not like it's lesser church. Right. You're not any less I don't know. It's the same idea of like the, you know, you can have a worship experience in your backyard if you want to. The Holy Spirit can find you in your backyard. It's not like they're getting lost because they can't find you in a church, you know? Exactly. Um, Yeah. And I used to, I used to always, uh, because my dad was not a very religious person, And I remember asking him when I was younger, like, why he didn't go to church. I may have talked about this before on the podcast. I don't remember. Um, But I remember him saying, like, that he just felt more, like, spiritual, like, in nature, you know, out on the lake or gardening or whatever. And when I was a kid, I, like, thought that that was a cop-out answer. And it could have been. But now as an adult, I'm like, oh, I get that. I get that. Mm -hmm. I really do. Yeah, That's actually the exact reason i told mark i didn't want to be married in a catholic church Mm -hmm. um when we were talking about what kind of wedding we wanted um i you know i told him i was like i want us to be married on neutral ground i don't i don't want us to be in my church i don't want us to be in your church i want us to be in a place where we both can connect with god on equal footing Mm -hmm. um and he, of course, like we had this whole debate about like, well, we are an equal footing. It's not like one is better than the other. And I'm like, OK, but our church, our churches treat it differently. Yes. Like we may think that, but our churches don't. Right. Doctrinally, they don't. Right. Um, and so that was the exact answer. I said, I experience God in nature. Like that mm-hmm. is where I feel like I could connect to God the most. Yeah. Let's get married outside. And so we did. And um, it was beautiful. It was so cute. No, it, was, it was a lovely day. It was a great um, day. And it was, it was, uh, um, I have no word, no brain right now. What's the word? Um, it was preceded by heavy rain and, um, some pretty scary, uh, weather. Yeah. And then it turned out to be a very lovely But it was good. And the day went good. Mark's mom got stuck in the bathroom, but other than that. (laughs) Yeah. That was awful. Poor Uh, thing. But, you know. Your yeah. maid of honor was gorgeous. Um, uh, she was. She gave know? a lovely speech. Um, her speech really uh, so, sold the show. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I agree. It did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that, you know, and we come back to that question: like, what's church for? Mm-hmm. Is it? And and I, I think, I think you're exactly right. What we were talking about before the break that like, um, the church should be more than that scheduled. Um, you know, list of items. Yeah. It's not a to-do list. It is a community. And if you're building community, I think you can do that virtually. You can do that in person. You can do it both ways. And I, and I think it's important to do it both ways to reach the people who can't do right. things physically in mm-hmm. person. I, I was talking a little bit about Miles Warrens. 
So I found his Twitter. His well, I found his Twitter, and then I found okay. <laughs> I found his blog. He oh, is no. a he is faculty at Abilene. Abilene is that how you say it? Abilene Christian University. Yeah. Um, he's in the I think the the theology department. He um he wrote a post about it says you really should mostly uh, get rid of online church, and that was um the week after the New York Times op-ed uh, ran a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago. Do tell, Miles. Um, and he kind of defends the op-ed a little bit and saying that, like, people aren't reading it well enough, which is always a kind of a cop-out where he's like, you didn't really read the article if yeah. you think it was an ableist perspective. And I'm yeah. like, mm, no, it could still be an ableist you, perspective. You didn't really get um, it. Like, you you didn't really understand right. what it was saying because you yeah. didn't understand the minutia and the nuance of... <laughs> But he kind of took this turn where he was like, why is it that we want to equate virtual church with in-person church in ways that we don't with other activities? If I watch a baseball game on TV, I don't say that I attended the baseball game. I just watched it on TV. And he's like, if I go to a concert, you know, if I watch a concert on on you know, some streaming service. I didn't go to the concert. I don't say that I went to the concert. So why do we do that with church? Which I was like, okay, that's fair. Mm-hmm. That it that you know that is a fair assessment. But um, in response to his article, David Congdon Congdon. I don't know how to say his name. Congdon. He's a senior editor at University Press of Kansas, and he's a professor at the University of Dubuque Theological Seminary. Dubuque, D-U-B-U-Q-U-E. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, he said, no one's saying the experience is the same, but both the person who attends the baseball game and the person who watches the game from home can say they saw the game. And this is really, I mean, it's very similar to the to other matters of disability rights and about in a, other ableist arguments. Think about like audiobooks. Mm-hmm. What is the essence of reading a book? It's knowing the content. Whether I read that with my eyes or hear it with my ears or read it with my fingers, I I, I know the content of that book. That is the essence of the book. So the question really is, what is the essence of church? Is it the bodily experience? And that he – and the interesting thing was he took – Wernz's argument and he and he was like let's think about this so if we believe that christ is bodily resurrected physically bodily resurrected mm-hmm. because that was one of that was one of Wernz's arguments is that like that's a key part of our belief which yes you and i have talked about before that is a key part of our belief sure. that it was a physical resurrection not just a spiritual one and that's right. important mm-hmm. Wernz was saying which if i'm saying his name wrong it's Apologies. i don't know Apologies. Um, He was saying that, like, if that's an important part of our belief, then we need to be physically connected to Christ. And we do that by being physically present with other believers. Mm -hmm. Well, then Congdon comes in and he's like, "Okay, (laughs) my theological objection here is that he is trying to use the risen Christ and the Holy Spirit to or really one if we're accepting the Trinity, utterly invisible insensible universally present realities slash ideas to say that our physical presence in a single room is normative this strikes to me this strikes me as impossibly odd to wrap my mind around so much of the argument seems to depend on the fact that jesus being raised 
of the fact of Jesus being raised bodily. But even if we accept this notion, his body clearly is not sensibly accessible to us, even though we say it is present. Which Mark and I were talking about this because for the Catholic Church, at least, like he's, you know, he was like, no, no, but his body is sensible in the Eucharist. And I was like, okay, what do you taste? Yeah. Do you do you taste flesh mm-hmm. or do you taste bread? And he was like, well, you taste bread, but it is flesh. And I was like, okay, that's that's fine. Mm-hmm. But even if our physical bodies can't sense that metamorphosis, mm-hmm. it's still happening. It's yeah. just happening spiritually. Right. And so I think this whole, like, debate about, like, whether or not bodily worship and spiritual worship are like equal really diminishes the power of the Holy Spirit. It's like so much of what we experience, regardless of if I'm sitting in a pew or if I'm sitting on my couch is Holy Spirit experience. Right. Right. It's stuff that like, I may not physically tangibly be able to acquire, you know? Yeah. yeah. And And so when we talk about it that way, it's like, it's like we're saying that the spiritual part doesn't matter. Yes. Yes. Um, to uh, tack on to his baseball game analogy, I would also say that I have been, because we are in Kentucky and we are UK fans, this is a UK household, mm-hmm. um, uh, I've been to UK basketball games and they've been great. I've also watched the March Madness tournament with my family from my living room. And when I tell you that I was screaming just as much in my living room, maybe more like you it's, I mean, yes, you can have a spiritually moving experience virtually. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that when in the Bible, it says like where two or more are gathered, like the Holy spirits there. I mean, I think he's there if it's just you two. (laughs) I don't think they literally mean if there's not more than one person there, the Holy Spirit isn't showing up for you. (laughs) Right. So um, it's really interesting, too, because in Wernz's blog post, he talks about like, um, excuse me, he talks about the Holy Spirit in a weird way. And I'll read it to you and just tell just. I don't just tell me your reaction because okay. Cogden has a reaction to it that like matches what I was thinking when I was reading it. Mm-hmm. Um, he says the church is not an aggregation of individuals who gather together, but a body created because Christ is present among them who are then. I don't know if you can hear my kids screaming in the background. I did. <laughs> Cute. <laughs> um, who are then sent out into their diverse settings The spirit, in other words, doesn't work like some invisible glue making our invisible connection to one another the norm, but the spirit amplifies the physicality of God's work. You'll get tired of the New Testament describing the ways in which the spirit's work is to knit together people who are sick of seeing each other on a regular basis. It doesn't omit the uh, the translocal connection that people have with one another, but those connections always assume the centrality and primacy of gathering, not scattering. I'm going to be a hundred percent honest. I really lost what he was yeah, saying no, in the middle he's, there. He's a little heady. He's a little heady there. Yeah. But when he says it doesn't work like it's some invisible glue, making our invisible connection to one another, the norm, but instead amplifies the physicality of God's work. Um, mm-hmm. 
I'm pretty sure that's exactly how the Holy Spirit works, both as the invisible glue and the amplification of that physical. Yeah. I was, I was like, he was like, it doesn't, it's not the physical, it's not an invisible glue. And I was like, wait, but isn't it though? It kind of is. It kind, kind of is. And that's what Congdon was saying. He was like, um, indeed, it seems to be the whole point of the end of John's gospel and the outpouring of the spirit. The lack of Jesus's bodily presence is no obstacle. He is full as fully present virtually i.e. pneumatologically, Mm -hmm. as he was present in the body. He is, like, essentially virtually present. That's true. Through the Holy Spirit. Like, that's an important thing, you know? Yeah. And when Jesus appeared to his disciples as not a real physical form, they couldn't tell the difference, so... Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It just, it's, it's really interesting to me, the theological debates that go into this when really we should be saying, what is the benefit of virtual church? Well, first of all, it's reaching people who can't connect non-virtually. Correct. And then how can we use virtual church to amplify God's word and God's message and reach people and be, you know, creative Mm -hmm. in the space that we have, Mm -hmm. which is, I think, essentially from the start of radio waves you know we're saying that's been the goal has been like ooh, how can we use this yeah and suddenly we've taken a step back and gone no 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 hang on people are being lazy with it (laughs) people are gonna be lazy with it yeah that's gonna gonna happen does that mean you stop offering opportunity no to be honest absolutely not i'm gonna be lazy with or without virtual church i just won't be going to church if it's not available (laughs) virtually i i mean that's not and that's no, but that's the tipping point. Mm-hmm. Is that like if you're taking virtual church away and it means somebody's going to go, eh, I don't really feel like doing it then. Mm-hmm. Isn't it better for them to have the virtual church experience and for right. you to do everything that you can to encourage physical interaction and to like really build community and however they use that, that's okay. Yeah. Like, yeah. If you're doing what you can, let them have it. It makes me think a lot about like in uh, in my own work. We um, with some of because I work at a food bank um, with some of our food pantries. Well, not some, basically all. Whenever COVID hit, they had to switch to a drive-through method instead of people coming into the pantries and physically picking out food. And I'm pretty sure most of our pantries, and that's like hundreds of pantries are not going back to an inside model because they figured out that it's actually faster to just have people drive through. They have a system down now and they've taken what was kind of a pain and made it into the best version. And now some of them can actually get more done and serve more people. So it's like, yeah, let's keep the changes and just like you said, be creative, Mm -hmm. work with what we've got now and figure out how to make it work. And maybe this will be like a rejuvenating uh, kick in the pants to people who are just really holding on to like traditional ideas of churches and can't get past that. Yeah. Maybe this will be an opportunity to reach different generations, younger generations yeah. who don't need that traditional sense of church. Anymore. And that's the thing it, it's like with your pantries, it's like it, the the goal now has become 
um, okay, we have this new mode. How do we connect with people? Mm-hmm. It's just changing the challenge. Right. It's a new challenge. Right. And I think the same is for churches. Now, Mark and I were talking about, like, it's it's really complicated in terms of traditions that say you need to receive the literal body and blood of Christ. Yeah. Um, but we were talking about, like, with the whole spiritual like, – so right now they have – in a lot of parishes, they have the live stream spiritual communion prayer that says, um, you know, Jesus, while I can't take you sacramentally right now, physically come Mm -hmm. spiritually into my heart. Um, in the, in our parish, they say, come at least spiritually into my heart, which drives me absolutely insane. Um, but it's like this other option But we were talking about today, like, it's interesting because the way they say it at at the church we attend, they say, for those of you participating in the live stream, please join us in the act of spiritual communion. And then they say the prayer. There are people in physically in that church who are not taking communion, who do not go to. I don't Mm -hmm. because I'm not allowed. Yeah. Um, There's other people who don't take it for other reasons. Why can't they participate in that spiritual interesting, interesting? Because I mean, in some traditions, it's the belief that like if you are in the midst of mortal sin, you should not take communion. Mm -hmm. But you should be seeking spiritual connection with Jesus, especially in that situation. Yeah. So like, I think it sparks this debate of like, how do we, how do we serve that part of Christianity to all people, and we need to be thinking about spiritually, like what's important about that part of our, our Christian experience, because that's another opportunity mm-hmm. that we could be capitalizing on. Right. Um, because actually, and in all honesty, the thing that brought up this, this topic for me in the very, very first moment of, oh, this could be a podcast topic, was um, an article that came across uh it came from Will Berry. Will Berry okay. posted on on Facebook. Yeah, that's I just remembered that. Yeah, because all our ideas come from Will Berry. Um, as they should, as they should. I really hope he doesn't listen to the podcast. Very I'm reverent. Be honest. <laughs> um, uh, it was an article called "Episcopal Team to Launch Virtual Reality Church Services in Metaverse." All avatars welcome. And basically. There's a debate going on about virtual baptisms in in the metaverse right now um, because and this is actually not as new as I as I thought it was mm-hmm. in 2016 DJ Soto a guy a, a preacher he uh, founded VR Church Virtual Reality Church which is a a church literally like in Minecraft universe it's not but it is <laughs> yeah yeah it's not and I say that because I know nothing about VR uh huh. Um, it's actually um, a church that is um, that appears over the Alt Space VR platform that you can access through Oculus, through mm-hmm. pretty much any VR headset. Um, and it's it's literally church in in VR. Um, and this morning, I watched a little bit of one of their pre-recorded streams because uh-huh. um, they have it on Twitch. <laughs> It's on Twitch. Of course. So you can get on Twitch and watch people's avatars experiencing church. So you get to watch church, but also you're watching an avatar deliver church. 
I will I will send you a link. Um, please do. Please do. <laughs> so VR Church, if you go to vrchurch.org, um, that is the church that I watched on Twitch this morning. I didn't watch all of it. But the interesting thing about it was, well, there was a lot that was interesting about it. I thought what it was going to be was that, like, you take your little avatar into their church service, whatever world they've created for that. Mm-hmm. And um, when I when I started watching it, there's a big screen. They've created an amphitheater. People have seating. You can hang out. Um, you can talk to other people. Mm-hmm. You're using your VR headset, so you're there as a as an avatar that has hands uh-huh. and can move around. Um, and so I thought, oh, okay, so they're just going to play the normal sermon on the, on the screen and you sit there in the virtual universe and watch uh-huh. it. Nay, nay, that is not how it works. The pastor literally gets on his own VR and delivers the sermon through VR. They do put the worship music and the words up on the screen uh-huh. and people stand in their virtual reality uh-huh. gear and do participate in worship in in like the musical worship he called on somebody to pray to open the service and this little guy's avatar came up to the front it was an elderly man um using his vr headset saying um he had just gotten out of the hospital from having pneumonia covid oh and <laughs> and that it was such a great opportunity for him to be there and that it was it was wonderful to be able to connect with everybody that was there that day. Mm-hmm. And he gave this beautiful prayer. And then they went into the rest of their church service. It, it was mind-boggling to me. See, I start, you started telling that story, and my attitude did a full 180. Mm-hmm. A full 180. I thought, <laughs> I thought it was going to be so gimmicky. Yeah. I thought it was going to be, like, cheesy. I also just was don't like, understand... The metaverse. I don't get it. I don't want to get it. I know that makes me sound like a crotchety old woman, but like, I don't. I don't get it either. I don't want it to be a thing. I don't want it to exist. I just need it to not. Yeah, but holy moly, they are actually trying to create um, a community, a virtual right. community. Like, it's not, cool. it is not just them trying to stream church. Yeah. They, they have people that show up. 20 minutes before and go and talk to each other and hang out. And like, they are actually connecting as a community um, in a virtual world, which I think is wild. And DJ Soto actually said when he founded VR church, he said, we don't think physical gatherings should go away. Mm -hmm. Our church, our physical church gatherings are not going to go anywhere. Yeah. But in 2030, you're going to have to focus on your VR church (laughs) and, I don't know yeah. if I agree with that completely. Like, I think that's a bit far-fetched. Yeah. But what an interesting way to reach people. This is a this is maybe going to uh, down a, a far, far path. But it also makes me think about, like, communities in different cultures where church is not readily available to people or people in countries where it's, like, illegal to yeah. gather. Is that technically gathering no yeah you're not gathering as a church you've created a loophole that has created a whole new opportunity yeah that is fascinating or like and so people you know people who don't live in majority christian communities who could mm -hmm. find other christians through that and have their own community together in one place quote unquote yeah interesting it's it's amazing so the Episcopal team that's creating their church, um, 
It's called Web3 Abbey. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going to start on February 28th. It's an evening service. Um, and if you're interested in finding out more about joining Web3 Abbey, you can email Web3 Abbey, W-E-B number three, A-B-B-E-Y at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and it they also appear over the Altspace VR platform because um, it's it's pr- better protected against trolls and such. Good. Um, but the real, the cool thing about the article that I read that was saying that they, they are looking to create a special liturgy that is just for this space, mm-hmm. um, that is unique to this space in, in its strengths so that they can actually use the space in the way that it should be used. Yeah. Which, which I think they should be doing. They shouldn't yes. just be saying, let's recreate the church experience over VR. Right. They're saying, how can VR change the way that we do worship? And how can we use that to our advantage? Yeah. And so what they're going to do is they're going to do, I think, nine weeks of services once a week. And then they're going to take a pause and do focus groups and talk about, like, what was really good? What do mm-hmm. we need to change? And stuff like that. So they're not re- – they in the article they talked about, they, they weren't sure if they were going to have, like, a, you know, virtual brick-and-mortar church or, yeah. you know, what kind of landscape it was going to look like. But it's going to be intentional community building for the VR experience. And that that is how I think you can create an inclusive space virtually. Yeah. Because like the Holy Spirit is bigger than we can ever, you know, can ever understand. We can't put that in a box. No. And so I think to say let's get rid of this online church experience, it's not only naive, Mm -hmm. it's so limiting to not only people, but also you're you're limiting God. Yeah. In that in that sense. Yeah. Because that's just incredible. That's that's an amazing cool. thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I'm here for it. I'm gonna have to get me a VR headset. <laughs> <laughs> it was really cool to watch. Yeah. I'll send you the link. Um, because I was I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Hmm. Hmm. Maybe we can like also put the link to that in our show notes or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, dang. Hmm. <laughs> so those are those are my thoughts. On I don't really know church. where to go after that. I'm like my mind is blown. Yeah, yeah. I don't think virtual church is going anywhere. No, I don't. I don't think so either. I, I think um, I think we shouldn't put ourselves at war against no. it. No. No. John Cooper, there's no reason for him to go to war. There's no reason for Christians to go to war with each other. We, it doesn't need to happen. John. Full circle. Full circle moment. I yes. do also think it's interesting. Uh, I, not interesting, but I think virtual services are very helpful when church hopping, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. It's really easy for, you know, if there's a church I'm thinking about trying I do enjoy that I can go ahead and look at a service and go, hmm, okay, do I even like their pastor? Do I like yeah. Yeah. the feel of this? And then I'll I've go in that. person. Yeah, I'll go in person if it seems cool. And if not, yeah. if the preacher's really annoying and has a nasally voice and is boring, then I won't go. <laughs> yeah. That is something I should say. Miles Warren's is, is his post said basically we shouldn't get rid of Zoom services to cut off people who are used to using Zoom or who first connected Mm-hmm. through and by zoom i mean digital yeah for sure. um but instead he said let's make it password protected and then only give it to people who need it which i know i'm like come no. on no you who gets to decide who needs it and who doesn't <sighs> but stop gatekeeping um, virtual church 
But that was an important point, though, is that, like, sometimes people, that's the only way that people have ever connected with your church. Yeah. And if you just take that away, it's not, it's not like they're going to suddenly be like, well, guess I got to go in person. Like, yeah. some people will, but a lot of people won't. No, they'll you just know? find a different church. <laughs> You're There's just a shooting lot of them. foot at that point. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Man. So. <sighs> well, but yeah, this, this is a good this, chat. I like yeah, this. Yeah, this is a good chat. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think if there are any final thoughts. I did. Um, I did want to, which we didn't get to. I did want to talk about like what's annoying about virtual, like kind of yeah. tongue in cheek. Like, what do we hate about virtual church, and what what's really good about it? So, I I would I would put that out to the listeners. What is some of the craziest stuff you've seen on virtual yeah. church? Yeah. Um, and what's the best stuff you've seen yeah. through virtual church? Like, what's the what's the top tier, and also what was just like wow we should not have gone there bottom of the barrel please delete this from the internet (laughs) yes yes yeah that would be interesting i don't know that i've watched enough to find anything bad but i know there's bad stuff out there oh yeah there are some people there are some churches not to gatekeep virtual church even though i just said not to do that um Similar to the stop giving men microphones movement, I think stop giving some churches um, digital platforms. Facebook accounts. Yeah, yeah stop it. Yeah. Stop it. Um, Patriot Church, t- take it away. Get out. Take it away. Get out. <laughs> no. Um, uh, well, this is very exciting. Um, yes. I'm trying to think. I was going to say next time we're talking about, but I don't know what we're talking about next time. We don't know. We're in a weird, timey-wimey situation. I don't know what order this is going to be in, but we love I'm having guys. a baby in eight days. So. <laughs> eight days or less. Eight days, eight or, days less. or less. Eight days max. But, but cro- fingers crossed eight days because yeah. I, I need the schedule to work out how it is. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yes. Well, I'm very excited to meet the baby. And then I will be participating in a lot of virtual church for a while. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, virtual mass, virtual. Yes. Yes. Virtual your church, virtual everything. So maybe I'll virtually go with you <laughs> to church. <laughs> we'll have a watch party. Yeah. <laughs> Please, can we have a word? A watch Let's party. do that. Let's do that one. Time. Okay. Yeah. I'm here for it. Just I'm, one. Just one. Just the once. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> all right uh all right our listeners in the virtual universe yes we love you we love you so much we miss you and um stay tuned i guess and stay communed virtually (laughs) (laughs) bye episode of couch communion was produced by us we don't have a team for this music by grace mason cover art by the wonderful sarah mullins at dr frank and sarah on instagram and twitter 
If you like what you heard, check us out on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere else podcasts are found. New episodes every Friday. Thanks for listening. Thank you.